0: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. The Mentality Monsters have done it again. Chelsea beat Manchester United to win their third straight FA Cup. I'm not crying, you are. On today's show, we pick the game apart and discuss the consequences for both these fantastic sides in seasons to come. But for now, all eyes are on this weekend in the WSL. Rach, There's no point messing around, all right? I'm in Jamaica at the moment, living my best life. I've got a can of red stripe here. The only disappointment and upset for me was watching the FA Cup final in the back of a 12-seater saloon on the way to Montego Bay and seeing my beloved side fall to defeat against Chelsea again. And I can't tell you how disappointed I am to be saying those words because I really didn't think it was going to go down that way. I mean, obviously a huge occasion, absolutely, you know, mammoth crowds, 77,000 people plus packing into to Wembley. And I think that, if anything, is just an amazing achievement. When you go to Wembley now for the past four occasions, we've seen sold out crowds from the finalists, the Euros final, the USA game, and now obviously at the FA Cup. And um, yeah, I mean, the atmosphere there looked absolutely wild. I mean, I, I, I'm i really gutted to say this, but I would have rather have been there for that two hours uh that, that in Jamaica I mean Rachel, you were there what, what was the atmosphere like what was the vibe?
3: Firstly um we are not sponsored by Red Stripe and other beverages are available uh, very important and <laughs> um, I tell you what it like despite having gone to Wembley numerous times now with over 70,000 fans it's still it's still not something I think we ever get used to um, and you know turning up to a game over three hours before kickoff and Wembley Way is already busy and there's already fans out. They're already at the various, like there was some good fan engagement stuff. And um, the FIFA trophy was on tour as well. So that was there and people could queue up. Huge queue to get your picture taken with the trophy. And almost I equally- I saw a cute
2: little photo with you and safe on that trophy. Yeah,
3: Very obviously. cute. I liked it. <laughs> and, and there was an almost equally big queue to get a photo taken with Carly Telford, who was kind of part of that FIFA event. So she was busy before kickoff. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it. I still don't get used to it. It's still an amazing thing, but it's so nice that the, uh, a sold-out FA Cup final is no longer a dream. Like, there's so many things now where you're like, right, done that, done that, done that, take that. And I think they said it was a, a record or a historical, you know, record, world record-breaking number for a domestic cup game. So that was pretty cool. I mean, I'll be honest, it wasn't like the most exciting FA Cup final on the pitch um, but yeah, just being in Wembley, the sun shining, really good. Like both ends had Man United one end, Chelsea the other, and um, they had DJs playing absolute bangers in the lead up to the game. So all in all, like it was just an awesome day out.
2: It's just, um, I think it's that every time you hit Wembley Way, there's always a bit of sun and there's always a vibe. There's always box park popping off. There's always a band going. The atmosphere has just always been insane. And I think, you know, yeah, you've got this record-breaking crowd. You've got United's first major final. You then go on to have Chelsea winning the trophy three times in a row. VAR is being used for the first time, which obviously played a huge part. I mean, it makes sense for you to start with the first earlier golden chance. I mean, ruled offside. Ruled offside, and, um, but I think that that for me was a really beautiful moment because it was Man United. We knew what we were going to get there. We knew that we were going to get a Man United on the front foot. They were going to take the game to Chelsea and this was going to be one tasty competition. But I think we had kind of different views on it. So
3: I think, I mean, first of all, the start was incredible. Um, and I was delighted with myself because I snapped all of the shots. I got all of the celebrations. I was like, oh my God, this these pictures are going to be amazing. And then I got ruled offside. And the poor photographer next to me, after the whistle had kind of gone, he was like, "Jesus Christ, really? Hang on a second! Like, we've li- we've literally just come around from doing like team photos, just to give you an idea. We're like running off the pitch, trying to get ourselves back settled. I'm lucky I wasn't that far away from where the team photos were taken, trying to get yourself settled. And bloody 26 seconds later, Leah Galton's already scored a goal. So unfortunately, all of those great photos I'd actually managed to get were kind of redundant because I hadn't scored, but I did use them. And um, I think." Look, I think the with the benefit of VAR as well, it did show that Elatoon was just offside during the build-up. And actually, the referee, the lino, had flagged it. So hats off to the lino for actually catching that in real time because it was tight. Um, actually, I think the refs were pretty good yesterday. I think um, shout-out to them because I know we've talked in the past about you know needing standards to step up and funding to step up. And I actually think they were on the biggest stage. Um, they did a good job. But yeah, I, I loved the beginning. It started with such... The start was at such intensity, and I think Man United had Chelsea on the back foot early. But it just went a bit flat, kind of after those kind of flurry of <gasps> moments. um, It just felt like it went a little bit flat. And I think it was a lot to do with when Chelsea did have the ball. They just kind of struggled to make any real clear-cut chances, find each other. It was a little bit scrappy in midfield at times. But Man United did have the better of the first half, and probably the first 50-60 minutes, I thought they had the better of. And it just goes to show those, the fine margins. It's it's so like symbolic that that goal was was ruled offside by inches. You know, we've talked about that before. And uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of comments and seen a lot of comments for Man United saying it was literally a matter of inches. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I, we were all kind of chatting about it during the game. It just felt a little bit flat because it was almost like, damn, we didn't get that chance. And then both sides were kind of like a little bit of back and forth. I think Chelsea were happy to let Man United have possession let them kind of feel them out a little bit. um. But yeah, I think maybe because it wasn't a case of both sides playing really well and battling, it was a little bit more of Chelsea just kind of sitting back a little bit, were a little bit scrappy when they were in possession. um, And then United kind of struggling to carve out too many more really clear chances. So maybe that's why, for me, it just felt a little bit flatter.
2: Well, I'm going to set out my case for why I thought it was a fantastic first half. Um, I Your think... Honor? um. I... <laughs> I, mean, we've done this before, the whole case setup up, but I know that I'm going to win. So um, it, You're it is what it's it is. Fair. Um, but... Uh, well, an ex-lawyer. So, yeah, that those days are behind me now. But I did think, I think that, you know, the first big chances went to United. And I think credit to, to Skinner and also the squad for not letting the occasion get to them. I think, you know, both of us spoke to uh, Katie Zellum earlier on during during the week um, as part of a round table that, that we did with her. And, um, you know, she was talking about, you know, they do obviously get nervous. They have the excitement, the build-up. They're going to do the, uh, the Wembley walkthrough and the lead-up to, to the game to run through kind of, you know, how it's going to look, how it's going to feel. Because, you know, this is United. United squad that weren't formed five years ago, and to go from that to then this kind of stage, and obviously a lot of the Man United players have played at Wembley and big occasions in in the summer um, last year, but they didn't look scared they didn't look nervous they looked like no. they looked like a side that were the underdogs because they just played like a side that had nothing to lose and I really respected that about them I think the lear Golden chance I think would have absolutely helped bolster confidence I mean having a, a clear uh well goal essentially in the first minute is um that's pretty good going and I think that's why I found it such a great half because even then I was looking at the stats in 38 minutes Man United had had five attempts on goal to Chelsea's one so not only were they creating chances but they were also nullifying the threat that Chelsea posed I mean Sam Kerr wasn't getting much of a look in for for large parts of of the first half which I thought was an an amazing achievement I mean she's their biggest threat I mean as soon as you C- cancel her out you've you know you've probably won half the battle but yeah I think we've got to talk about VAR from a from a different perspective and in a scenario that I think it, it possibly should have been used um I mean there was a Paris entry into the box there was a very big leg out from uh old Charlesy it was unusual I think in that circumstance for VAR not to be used I mean to me it looked like it was inside the box even on the replays it looked inside the box it
3: happened right in front of me like that was the end I was at and for me the foul started outside the box which is why I thought it hadn't been given and I thought VAR had been so thing is is that we don't always know what's being communicated to the referees during the match so sometimes I think when it is dubious then the then the VAR team are like right we need to look at it again we need to look at it at another angle And that's when the referee is like, hang on a second, VAR are re-looking at it. And that's when we have a situation where you need to go look at it. Sometimes the VAR check is so quick or they see it and and are happy that it is outside the box. That's communicated to the referee straight away. And we don't really have time for this VAR check situation where you see it up on the screen and you know what's going on. And so part of me wonders if maybe that that happened
2: but do you not think it's almost worth like VAR is being used for the first time in the final and you just think do you want to get your money's worth like let's do like an Arsenal-Wolfsburg type <laughs> situation where we just chuck VAR everything like just might as well really but I think we've also got to give a massive shout out to the goalkeepers as well I mean Mary Earp's pulling off an absolute worldie of a save like the footwork that she had to do to get back from it was a, a Lauren James looping header that looked like it was just about to creep in uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the far post and then all of a sudden Mary Earp's out of nowhere just Superwoman's it, knocks it onto the post and it goes out. And I just, um, credit to her. But then also at the other end, I mean... Oh, and catching Berger. I mean, there was a cheeky little deflected ball and she's moved her feet as well to try and get in line with it. And it's kind of deflected out and she's the, the, the reaction speed on, on getting that ball out, I thought was absolutely incredible. So credit and shout out to the goalkeepers. I have to for a goalkeeper that, union. That
3: situation was one of those chaos moments where the ball kind of pinged around like there were players on the floor. May Letizia and Ericsson were in a heap on the ground. The ball was stuck under Millie Turner's feet. She was trying to get it out. And and you could see Berger kind of Kind of shifting a little bit, and she had shifted to where she thought the shot was going to go, and then it kind of took a deflection. So how she kind of got down and dipped her hand to palm it out was was incredible. And same for Mary Earps. I think a lot of people thought that that had hit the post, but no, she had managed to to backpedal so quickly and get a fingertip to it. um And just like like I said, because there weren't there weren't loads of really clear cut on target shots, and yet the goalkeepers were still able to pull out those those big saves when maybe they hadn't had as that much to do in the half. So Yeah, it just goes to show, like, both sides, how close they were. And I think Man United can really hold their heads up high because, as you said, it didn't look like a team that hadn't been in a final before. They played with such confidence. I thought their tactics in the first half particularly were really, really good. They'd seen that Chelsea, in their last couple of games, have not started well. And the teams that kind of... I mean, Liverpool did capitalise. They scored. Everton didn't. But I think Mark Skinner recognised that if you press Chelsea early and quickly... Um, you could get something. And, and they came so, so close to actually getting something. And I thought that, that was really, really well done. And I think May Letizier and Millie Turner were superb um, in the back line. And, and they're such young players as well. Just to think how long they've got that they could be giving to Manchester United and playing that level of football, um, particularly May Letizier, um, is such an exciting prospect. So I think, yeah, like like many of the Man United players have come out and said today, it was fine margins. um, And hopefully that just lights a fire under onto them because they now have clubs. Oh,
2: massively. And I think, um, you know, Mark Skinner was sort of saying, um, you know, this is a side that we want to be like. This is, you know, we want to be where Chelsea are today. Um, and, you know, it was um, it was interesting because I think, you know, Mark Skinner picked up on the fact that it was essentially just that one moment of really switching off that completely was the nail in the coffin. Well, that and also not taking a chance in the first half. But, you know, I think um, they did manage to keep Chelsea at bay. They did manage to keep them quiet and they appreciated that actually Chelsea are a side who are very, very comfortable out of possession, just waiting and biding their time for those opportunities. And when they get those opportunities, they're so bloody clear.
0: Yeah.
2: Destroyer of dreams for the Man United fan base. Um, I mean, who else? Who else? If you could have put your house, your car, your whatever, whatever valuable possession that you have, you would put it on Sam Kerr to have been the the match winning decider of this game. And who else but Harder on the assist? And who else before that assist? Wrighton. I mean, out of the three <laughs> players that you would have <laughs> that you would have put any kind of prediction on it would have been them three and um what a goal it was i mean it was a switch off sam kerr for the tapping at, at the back post from a beautiful uh harder delivery i mean rates you were there i mean the explosion in the chelsea crowd was it was horrible and heartbreaking for me to watch but i'm assuming the the wave of blue across the air uh, at the stadium must have been a beautiful sight
3: yeah and i think you know i know we were saying that it was one moment. I mean, when Pernilla Harder came on, it was a game changer. They, they shifted their format slightly so that she could be more give more support to Sam Kerr. I don't think they were getting the same kind of creative passing in midfield that they needed. Um, and Sam Kerr wasn't getting any service. I think she had like nine touches in the first half, which is a testament to how well Millie Turner and May Letizier handled her. Um, but equally, a player like Sam Kerr only needs one moment. Um, and she's a big game player. And she scores in the important moments. And she loves scoring in an FA Cup finals and she loves scoring against Manchester United so put them all together um, but yeah I think you know obviously credit to her for scoring the goal you know she's the kind of player Chelsea need in those moments but Pernilla Harder I thought when she came on looked so dangerous she had a chance herself um, that was uh, p- passed in from Sam Curran was just slightly behind her and she couldn't get enough power on the on the shot and, and Mary Earps was able to serve she had a couple of opportunities actually harder um, so she did look the most dangerous and it's no real surprise that, that the goal kind of came through her um, but my God, yeah, the, I, the Chelsea fans behind me, um, I kind of saw it happening in slow motion. I got the shot of, of Sam Kerr through the net and then Prinella Harder was running backwards, kind of beckoning to Sam Kerr. So I followed her and then I was like, where is Sam? And realized she was doing a bloody backflip, um, which most of us missed because there were so many players <laughs> around. And the key, amazing, iconic shot was um got from some of the club photographers on the side. There's some brilliant photos floating around. But uh, yeah, she pulled out the, the backflip. And it was a, a moment worthy of that kind of um, celebration. But I do hope she stops doing it now ahead of the World Cup. Um, but yeah, it was. you could see how much it meant to Chelsea. They knew, like Emma Hayes said, it was a grind. They knew how hard and how deep they were going to have to dig to beat this Manchester United side. And you could see from every player how much that goal meant to them. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it was a pretty special moment.
2: Well, I think, um, I mean, we've got to talk about the uh, the tactics that kind of came through from the the second half. I think it was very much a kind of game that was won almost by the substitutions that both sides had. I mean, you know, you brought, had Williams coming on for, for Paris, which I thought was a really good choice. I mean, not, that's not to say that I didn't think Paris was doing well. She was definitely causing a threat on the wings. But I think when Williams came on, it brought that extra layer of physicality. I mean, within seconds, she'd already like bodied Cuthbert to the ground to kind of show a bit more of an... Uh, an aggressive attacking mentality there. So I thought that was a really good choice for me. And then I think obviously after the goal had gone in, it felt like, you know Hayes' biggest priority then was kind of battling down the hatches, just making sure that they were defensively going to be robust because you know you're only one nil up, anything could happen and anything could take you through to to extra time. So yeah, we had 72 minutes, Charles coming off for Carter, and then um, it was Buchanan, wasn't it? It was Lauren James coming mm-hmm. off for for Buchanan in the uh, 88th minute as well. So I just felt like they were just throwing defensively. It was like a the, it was it was a classic part of the bus, and I think um, that that definitely shored them up. But I think the last 10 minutes, the last 10 15 minutes of the uh, the second half Man United found another, they, they found sixth gear it was incredible to kind of watch them not want to give this opportunity up to, for it to be their first major tournament I mean the chances that they had I think they were just so unlucky but it was a little bit too little too late they could have done better in the first half and I think the second half was, um, was uh, yeah it was um, pretty catastrophic for them in the end <sighs> I'll get over it I'll get over it
3: I I actually thought that like taking I was surprised he took Keats off because I thought she looked so bright and so energetic and I felt like that's what mm. Man United needed so I was a little bit surprised that Rachel Williams came on so early actually um, and then yeah as you touched on the Pernilla Harder yeah and and she only comes Ingle, on as sort of
2: like as a as an impact sub sort of yeah. later on but yeah, I think the last um, five
3: minutes <laughs> it was also Sophie Ingle I think that came on around the same time and she she kind of dropped a little bit deeper with Aaron Cuthbert so while obviously harder gave the attacking outlet and the the way that she was able to feed Sam Kerr which Sam had been kind of lacking in the first half Ingle equally was able to provide a little bit more defensive cover and that was so important then when they did get the goal to have someone like that in the midfield to help kind of help them shore up a bit um but yeah I thought it it all came down really to the substitutes didn't it
2: massively Um, yeah and I think um, I mean when we speak about Sam Kerr and the kind of impact that she has I mean when we talk about the substitutes coming on it was definitely a case of you know the second half being that that was the integral feature that was exactly where the game was won essentially Um, but yeah I mean going back to to Sam Kerr I mean Rachel we spoke a little bit about this before we jumped on the pod I mean apparently you've been getting a little bit of grief Uh, Sam Kerr won the Football Writers Player of the Year award Um, quite a few suggesting that it should have been Rachel Daly given the goal the mammoth amount of goals that she scored this season. But yeah, it does seem, um, it does seem a little bit unusual. But then when you look at when it's, I think it's not the the, qu- the quantity of goals that, that Sam Kerr scores, which is again, amazing, but it is the, it is when she does it. It is the, the timing of the goals and the significance of every goal that she scores, because they just seem to occur at moments where, I don't know, your back's against the wall, or you don't think they're going to pull it out of the bag for that one time that they never do. Um, but yeah, what's the grief that you've been getting, mate? What's what's happening? Why? Who's 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 <laughs> um who's bullying you?
3: It's not that. It's, it's you know the typical fans that um you know if you say anything against their team, then you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and it's funny because like we even said, obviously, absolutely love Sam Kerr. You know how much we love her, how amazing we think she is. But we just felt that this year maybe Bunny Shaw or um Rachel Daly deserved it for what they've done for the teams that they're in. Um, and the you know the goals I know Rachel Daly and Aston Villa aren't second in the league, which is where Chelsea currently are. Um, but equally, they're they're punching massively above their weight and scoring goals in in very important games for them as well. So it's not a slight on Sam Kerr. I mean, bloody hell, aren't we lucky to have so many good players in this league? It's incredible. Um, and we there used to be similar conversations around Vivian Miedema when she was back at a, at her best, banging in the goals, and then she'd have a season where. She didn't score as many goals and then everyone decided she was crap. Like, not saying Sam Kerr is crap. Sam Kerr has been like the key for Chelsea this season. We know that.
2: Well, I mean, one person who wasn't mincing her words over all the praise that she heaped on Sam Kerr after the game was, of course, our beloved Emma Hayes. Um, she said Sam is willing to take responsibility in the big moments and that she absolutely is. I mean, everyone was heaping praise on her afterwards, but also a lot of praise obviously went to, to Peniel Harder as well for, for the uh, the impact that, that she created and, and obviously being a bit of a game changer. Yeah. Um, but I think going forwards now, I mean, I was just listening to Alex Scott and what she was saying after the game about, you know, this is this is both two teams that we're expecting to get into more FA Cup finals, but a lot of it is going to be dependent on who they retain sort of coming up to this uh, the summer transfer window. So that'll be interesting to, to see. But yeah, a disappointing day for, for Man United. I mean, I saw them sort of walking up the stairs to go and collect their, their medals and they looked a little bit deflated, but also, you no know, credit to them. This is a, a medal that a lot of other teams haven't picked up. They're doing a lot of things right this year. And, and this is the first time there's been that, expectation on them really to, to reach these kind of levels in the tournament so and now I don't like to um blow Man United's trumpet too much but you know congrats girls that was a pretty amazing show but now that that's over now we've got the Conti Cup out the way now we've got the FA Cup out the way now the Champions League is kind of done and dusted for the uh, for the English teams what have we got next? The WSL bloody title race, which has got so spicy, so unbelievably hot uh, in this weekend coming up. We've obviously got the big Man United derby. you have got Manchester United, Man City. Uh, we've also got the Chelsea Arsenal fixture as well. So this is... Where it, this is crunch time. This is the business end. This is do or die, okay? And we were trying to work out all the different scenarios before we came on the pod about what could happen. Is it going to come down to the last fixture or is it can it happen this weekend? So we basically come up with the scenario that if Man United lose against Man City and Chelsea win both of their fixtures, one against West Ham on Wednesday and the second against Arsenal on Sunday, they will walk away with the title. So essentially, this weekend... Is critical. I mean, it's it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask for uh, for Chelsea to win both of those games. It's you know it's, it's still everything to play for, and it's a lot to ask also for Man United to make sure they pick up those points against City because that that's no mean feat either. So, but if those things don't happen, then it comes down to the final weekend, and then it's Man United, Liverpool, and then we have who's Chelsea's one?
3: Reading and Arsenal have Aston Villa and
2: City have Everton. It is. I mean that's big. So Rachel, I'm going to throw it to you for this bit because I think you had the Champions League bit down.
3: Yeah. So Arsenal have a game midweek as well against Everton. If they win that, they will go above Man City on points, which means they could technically afford to lose to Chelsea. I mean, they'd have to win their last game against Aston Villa, but they could technically, like losing against Chelsea at the weekend, would not be catastrophic to their Champions League title, Champions League hopes, because. They have a much better goal difference on City. So, yeah, there's a number of permutations <laughs> out there. Um, but I don't think I don't think Champions League would necessarily oh, maybe it could be decided. Oh god, if I get into that, I think it would involve Arsenal losing twice and City beating Man United and something. <laughs> um but it just it is equally tasty. And then down the bottom of the table, you know, relegation could also be decided this weekend. I don't want any of it to be decided this weekend because we've had such an incredible season. I'd be so disappointed if it was decided the second last weekend. Like, just don't do that. But, Leicester have West Ham. Spurs play Reading. Reading have to beat Spurs to be in with any hope of staying at the WSL. They have to beat them. But if Leicester beat West Ham, I think that might be it for Reading.
2: What I'm thinking is that actually the tastiest game out of the rest of the fix the remaining fixtures could actually be reading chelsea if it comes down to that last weekend because reading will be fighting for to be saved from the relegation and chelsea will be fighting for the title
3: why is it not just one team we're worrying about there's like one team (laughs) there's like five teams we have to think about of the, the various six teams of the variations of what might happen so um pardon our our poor mats if we have made any mistakes
2: but I think that's right. Well, if we're going to go to our, um, you know, our analogy of um, of the title race and, and where it's at too at the moment, I mean, I feel like we've got the two horses in the race and it's going to come down to, I mean, the, those, those two big fixtures, the Arsenal, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Man United. I mean, Rach, how are, you, how are you calling that? How do you think that's going to go down that weekend?
3: Well, first of all, my analogy at the moment is, you know, those rodeo cowboys that are like riding a mad bull. Oh my, on, where is everything? this going? I, I just oh, feel gosh. like there's just like a whole load of them in a ring and they're all just bouncing around the place and no one knows what the hell is going on that's my analogy at the moment because no one knows who's going to come out the gate first or who's going to be left last at this rate um but I think part of me thinks the fact that Chelsea have a midweek game against West Ham allows them to get back into it quicker and put the FA Cup behind them before let's be honest a massive fixture against Arsenal we know Chelsea Arsenal is always a massive fixture so part of me thinks Maybe it's better for them that they have the West Ham game to get going again. Mm-hmm. And part of me wonders then if four-man United coming off this loss where they were so close into what is possibly one of the biggest games of the season for them will be tricky. You know, they have to put those demons to bed. They have to forget about the disappointment. And they were so disappointed. You're like Mark Skinner looked angry post-match. I mean, I heard he threw his medal on the ground when he came down down back down to the no. pitch. No. You know, yeah. No. So... I feel like mentally they need to get their heads together now and try and put that behind them and I know that's not easy because they have such this is such a huge game this uh, Manchester derby for them. Um so they'll really need to refocus and it's another new experience for them. It's not something that they've necessarily experienced before a being in a in a cup final playing as well as they did, coming as close as they did and having to go straight into a huge game that could potentially decide the title as well so it's a lot for them and it's a lot of new experiences so that will be it's it's a very very tough one to call Man City have had a bit more time to prep that is not an answer to your question I apologize
2: no I mean I imagine that you'd be sitting on the fence I didn't I didn't imagine that you'd be throwing in an analogy like that to confuse and and um and baffle everyone but here we are it's been a it's been a season of analogies some of which have gone astray um but I think I mean Some have landed, some have have resonated with their audience. Um, But I think, you know, the Man United, Man City game, I think is going to be an absolute beast. I think, you know, Man United going into that fixture know that they have everything riding on that game. And I think. They've got the two hardest fixtures now because I think even though they're playing Liverpool on the Saturday afterwards on the 27th, I mean, Liverpool have just turned over Man City and also Man City will be aware of them needing to pick themselves back up and also how integral, how important those points are going to be in the Champions League fight. So yeah, it's um, it's going to be a big weekend. I mean, Rach, which game are you going to? Like, what's your, what's your preference here? Where are you going to be?
3: I'm being sent to Spurs Reading. So I'm going to have like, two eyes on one eye on man city man united one eye on um arsenal chelsea and then my third eye on the game that i'm actually at uh which is spurs reading
2: um so that, I mean do you have enough laptops to cover all of those eyes
3: do I have enough eyes chloe that's the problem but uh yes. I, this is a, it's a huge game as well this is a huge game at the other end of the table
2: so um plenty to choose from this weekend but that's where i'll be What I'm I'm struggling to understand is how the FA are going to decide where this trophy is going Uh, up and down the country because it could be, I mean, essentially I suppose it could only be at Chelsea this weekend, the Chelsea Arsenal fixture. So the trophy could very well be at Kingsmeadow this weekend. And do I want to see Chelsea They'll have a fake one. Mm, They'll have a fake one for
3: the last weekend if it goes to that. They'll have a, a, a fake one somewhere and a real one somewhere and no one will know which one's which.
2: Amazing. Well, it could be a very spicy weekend. Everything could be to play for on Sunday. We will definitely update you and run you through everything that's happened with the title race uh, next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan in Jamaica. If you've got any question for us before then, please tweet us at Football Ramble. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. I am at Morgie underscore nine. See you soon.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ